Jessica. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Propaganda, the property podcast brought to you by Stanford Sales and Lettings. As always, it's got me, Jack, the manager of our Catford office. I'm joined by James, director and manager of our Forest Hill office and Alex, director who runs our Hiver Green branch. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be having a little gander and focusing a lot more on vendors. I think in this podcast, we tend to focus quite a lot on the buying side of things. So just wanted a little bit of advice um, on this episode for the sellers out there. So today we're going to be picking the brains of these two about agents fees, what you're paying for, what's reasonable, and also uh, some of the reasons as to why a buyer may look to renegotiate during the sale. But before we jump into all of that, uh, I saw an article yesterday on The Guardian um, that I thought was quite interesting and keen to pick your guys' brains on. Uh, it said that brokers are pushing people into longer-term mortgages, and it said a record 19% of all loans taken out by first-time buyers were for 35-year terms or longer. I don't know if you've read the article, guys, but just kind of... I didn't see fail, though, but heard about it i don't i don't see it as a surprise really i mean money's expensive isn't it borrowing's expensive so i don't yeah i don't know I, to be fair i think when i my first mortgage was 31 years you kind of try to look to get your outgoings down didn't you and the easy way of doing that is to extend the term i think it's just against the normal recommendation of what you're trying to get your mortgage as low as possible isn't it but i don't know i don't see it as a surprise really no i mean when you're the younger you are the longer term you can get i mean i've don't think I would get 35 years anymore, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but it, at the end of the day, if it helps, there's two things with it, isn't it? It, it could help you um, in terms of the monthly outgoings, as, as Alex mentioned, um, and potentially on that basis, it might help you be able to afford something um, that perhaps would be unachievable yeah. um, otherwise. So it, it's, yeah, I think, it's fair enough. Uh, they started doing it, didn't they, um, as a result of the in increase in interest rates last year. A lot of lenders were sort of allowing people to extend their mortgage terms in order to bring their repayments down. Oh, yeah. That's kind of where it started. But it's interesting that it now seems to have filtered into first-time buyers. Also, that it said 35 years or more, right? I thought 35 years was the cap no, previously. 40. Can you? Yeah, if you're young enough. Mm, well, if you think really? about if you're getting a mortgage at 25, at 40 years, yeah. 65, what's retirement age now? 68? Yeah, I think so. The yeah. official one. I also yeah, don't so. really see it, but I think in that article, it was the kind of, you know, oh, the statistics show that everyone's extending mortgages. That means you're all going to be paying your mortgages off late into 70. I think most people have got to appreciate it. Your first time purchase is normally only four, three, four, five years. So by the time you come around to again and, and eat, remortgaged, didn't you, and bought your term right down, well, as much as you could to try and sort of mm. keep the, um, yeah, keep the money going into the mortgage. So I don't think it's a surprise. I think to be honest, it's probably the wiser move for the moment. No, really, if you're going to, yeah. no point trying to mortgage yourself up to the hills. As James said, it might get you into a two bed versus a one bed because you, you know, your affordability is slightly easier. Yeah. So you yeah. don't really see any issues with it? Or? No, I think looking at the long term, um, you, at the end of the day, my attitude, is, as I've mentioned several times on this podcast, is the sooner you buy, the better. Because the the older you get before you buy, the older you will be before you're able to be mortgage free. So actually, if it allows people to get into in, into a property that works for them out of rented or out of parents' house, whatever it is, um, I think do whatever you can really to make that happen and worry about the next step further down the line. You know, your your first mortgage, I would presume you did it the same way I did, which was pretty much maxed out what you could get, um, bought it, bought it on as long a term as you could. And actually, once you're then settled, 
you can start looking at well you know i want to start overpaying um yeah it's not easy to make plans once you've been in it for a while right. that short term it's just get in and get on the market on, yeah. on the profit first, side, isn't it first couple of years i, I personally wouldn't worry about it yeah i'll certainly look at doing it on the remortgage <laughs> extend that term <laughs> 45 years Putting it longer or shorter well, it depends what the mortgage rates got to. We had a mortgage rates quite low, so who knows? But I think in the short term it's fine. Really, by the time we you know start to move to your family homes and you're settling down, as you say, and it's a fifteen plus year home, then of course start bringing the term down and start being a bit more wise with it. But yeah, from the start, do what you need to do. Take advantage of it, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Maybe cool. you got some money left over for a night out every so often. I remember those days. <laughs> wise <Why laughs> spending. <laughs> Uh, just a bit of trivia for you next. You know, like, a, did you know where that comes from? Did you know where the saying daylight robbery comes from? No. Where it comes from? Mm-hmm. If you robbery. do know it, please, you know, don't. St- no. Highway, so highwaymen? You, I presume. You don't know the answer anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know it? <laughs> no. Is it highwaymen? No. In the 17th century, so in 1696, it is the 17th. Oh, is it windows? Yeah. Window ah, tax. Window tax. Yeah. So they used to tax oh, really? you for ha- for the How amount of windows on your house. Oh, so then what's people started to brick them up mm. in the window apertures. If you still look, you can see them in the apertures where they in like. Oh, is that what? Do you know what? I never even think that there's a lot of the properties you see that bricked up. I actually learned about that though when we did a tour of Cambridge University. Well, I didn't remember it, did you? I <laughs> didn't know, but now you say it, it's all come flooding back to me. Yeah, because they also used to brick them up. So nothing to do with Dick Turpin. No, I don't know what that means. <laughs> famous highwayman. No, no. Oh, oh I've seen that actually, the film. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, to do with window tax, so people started blocking them all up, and then doc. It went on for 156 years, and then all of the doctors said like, "This is crazy. Like, people can't do it. There's no ventilation. It's bad for people." Uh, so then they made them reverse it in whatever 156 years later was. Well, funny. More recently, is you used to get bedroom tax, didn't you? Not in a council house, it wasn't occupied. So same thing. Full circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, last week we spent quite a lot of time talking about a certain online agent uh, about whose whole business model or fouled business model by the sounds of it was all about cheap fees. And then it sort of got me thinking um, about fees and agents. Uh, and again, just wanted to tap into you two about what somebody who's about to sell can be expected to pay and when. So I guess, first of all, what would be an acceptable amount to pay and is a fee negotiable? For... A local agent, online agent, well, what are we talking? You know, just in general. if you're thinking of selling. Yeah, just in general, fair enough. Um, fee, I mean, agency fees tend to be quite standardized. Um, you've obviously got different amounts that we charge, but they don't tend to be wildly out. Is that um, area-wise? You, you'll generally find up and down the country, there'll be between 1% and 3%, depending mm-hmm. on where you are. Um, there are some certain agents that will really push towards the higher end of that and also in lower value areas, understandably, they will probably be, you know, closer to the two, two and a half percent. Um, but that they tend to be pretty standard between between those sort of figures. Um, are they negotiable? Depends. You know, you've got to look at the value of the property, the saleability. You know, we we've always tried to be very fair, I think, with the way that we work personally in that you know the higher value property will always try and stay competitive but at lower value um, levels there's probably less we can do to negotiate because ultimately um, it needs to make sense for us to take on an instruction at, at any level it has to be viable as a business decision so I would say yes within reason um, but the negotiation tends to not 
not be massive. You know, maybe an agent who charges one and a half percent might do one point two. Um, yeah, it, small increments, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, exactly. You're not going to and slash someone down. Yeah, and value and saleability, I think, are the two driving forces for when an estate agent will negotiate on fees. Yeah, I think for sure you'll find if there's a if it's a property you know you've got buyers for and it's ready to go and that sort of easy way into it, then obviously you might be a little bit more open to to having. A, I think it's always worth the conversation. I think if you know not asking is obviously always a bit of a um, well, it's going to lead you to nowhere, isn't it? But I think as Jim says, the fees, generally speaking, anywhere between that one percent to three percent. As you go into more like higher value property, you'll often see some that fee increase as well. I guess because obviously the, the nature of that business selling multi million pound property. It's about a value of service, isn't it? And that's what I'd probably say more about the fees. It's about the value of service and what you're getting back for that. I guess the agent that sells everything and, and hits the big figures or has the clients to hand will probably charge a little bit more than the agent who's just opened up and actually doesn't have a stream of business yet because they're competing to get in and the other person probably has a good position in the market. Um, but yeah, somewhere between that 1% to 3%, normally plus fat. So if you kept it like local where we are, like Borough of Lewisham, what would you say you know would be an acceptable figure i suppose one to one and a half percent depending on what plus the vat yeah. depending on what you're including selling. that plus the vat yeah, yeah um so yeah and that obviously as the as the price of property goes up that fee will tend to obviously the percentage of the fee will come down because obviously it's always based on what you're i would say for. around here though depend you know well obviously depending on the price but if you had like a five six seven hundred grand house or flat if two and a half percent around here would be madness yeah, I mean, it doesn't stop certain agents charging. I know, I know, people try it, but <laughs> yeah. I would... Do you know what, weird, I think it's, in the, I don't know, in the past, weirdly, it used to sometimes be able to get higher fees because there was almost less competition. And actually, the more that more agents open, the more that people try to undercut the next person, mm. it almost brings the value of, of those fees down. The online agents and just generally some agents are happy to go and do things at 1%, which means that the 1.5% that you might otherwise go for is hard to get because obviously then there is this kind of a, an expected level. Um, so I do think that fees have gradually settled down probably slightly below what, and I appreciate money's different these days, but the, the actual percentage of the fee, I think in the past probably used to be slightly higher than what it is today, purely based on the competition, the market and, and what's out there. Which is mad really, isn't it? When you think about it, like the price of everything else has gone up. Agents fees always going the down. Agent fees going down. And there was actually, some, I don't know what it was, but I was reading, I was looking up on the whole purple brick sale thing, but there was actually a chap in there who runs a, an estate agent uh, see, I don't know where it was in the country, but you know, he's always he's about uh, quantity, right, not quality. And, and he said himself, you know, I put my hands up for probably being one of the parties that have kind of leveled off some fees because obviously, if we were able to do things at lesser value than someone else, it, you start to reset the trend. So I do think so, but I think there's always a value in that fee, and I think you, you often find that people are happy to spend the money if if they can see that value. Yeah, I think as long as you can justify the fee. Yeah, that's that's the point, isn't it? It's it's not as simple as just what is the fee. It's what are you getting. Weirdly, areas can be so so different. When we um, our friend sold over in um, in Southwest London, the fee on a house over there at sort of seven eight hundred thousand pounds, I think the minimum fee was amongst agents was one and a quarter or one and a half percent. Whereas over here, it'd quite frequently be one percent plus the that. So, and that's just based on the area. Yeah, and they're this. It's the same agent that you'd see here over there. Yet their standard, the set or this kind of set fee is, is a higher level. So that can sometimes be different from the, I guess the whether in an affluent area or not and i guess they can people can you know want to happy to pay it yeah and what's included in the fee you know if somebody goes what do i get with that what are you going to include it will depend agent to agent um as a general rule what i think you should be getting for that is um you should be getting all your marketing 
but that doesn't mean you will. We we know plenty of agents that charge in addition for a kind of premium service. You know, if you want professional photos done, for example, you have to pay extra. Um, I've, I've always been a big believer in if you are going to do this job, then it should be done properly. There is no premium or base level service. There is, you're dealing with what is generally people's most priced assets. Um, and there is only one way of working with that. And that is to do professional photography, floor plans, um, make sure that you've got a nice summary, make sure you've got all your room details there. Although I know there's a bit of debate about that at the moment. <laughs> um, but you know, the, these are the things that actually, if you are going to list a property, that that should be the standard. There shouldn't be, I don't think, an option there. So it should all be included in the fee. But unfortunately, as always with these things, you know, one person does it one way, one person does it another way. Um, and and in addition to that, you know, most people's expectation when when they haven't sold a property is that oh, you know, the agent just does the viewings and gets us an offer, and then that's it. Well, that's part of it. But also on from there, the agent should be supporting both the vendor and the purchaser throughout the process. You know, it's a three to four month process on average. So making sure that the paperwork's flowing between the solicitors, chasing up things where needed, explaining to people what they need to be doing next, you know, helping people understand when a solicitor's kind of sending over their their jargon, actually breaking it down, particularly for, for first time buyers who perhaps don't understand what it all means. Um, that support should be pretty much well should be ongoing until the day the keys are handed over because the property is completed yeah i'd say the fee i'd always say to someone the fee that you're paying to an agent okay it's based on whether or not you've got the client list to be able to support that purchase and find them a buyer but you know marketing the property and then selling the property is kind of you know i'd say that's the easier part of it you're what you're paying a fee for is four months of pretty much day-to-day contact with someone and if you're not going to get that service in return it doesn't matter whether you save £200 because someone else lowered their fee in comparison to the other person. That is either going to make your process stressful, fall through, whatever it might be, or it could be a nice smooth transaction that actually completes and reaches the end of it. So yeah, for sure, you want to be looking at that sort of back end of it. The marketing is a big one. I think people take for granted these days that everyone's just going to give you good marketing. There's agents around us that still go around and take pictures on their mobile phones and the marketing is like horrendous. It's crazy. And I just, I just don't really understand it. It's not... It's not a huge added cost. And actually the, I guess the, the visuals that for your business as a marketer, you know, we do it and every single property gets exactly the same level of marketing, not just because we want to provide that service, but it's about consistency of a business, right? That's what we do. It's what we put out and it's our quality. Uh, so I do think it's crazy that, that people either charge more for extra marketing or, or just don't provide it. There's even a, an agent that charges more, I think, for the person in question to do the viewings, isn't there? Which I find slightly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> slightly backwards in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, the, I think the fee should for, should cover all. But I think people do need to remember that you aren't just paying it because someone is going to, we've got a buyer or we can get the highest price. You're paying it for pretty much four months of day-to-day contact, um, which is going to change your process. And the other thing is just to come back to the fees. You know, we're, we've spoken very much about percentage, but not all agents will do percentage. You've got fixed fee agents out there, not just the online ones, but high street agents who will do the same thing. And I've always had a slight issue with that in terms of, having worked in sales kind of in different industries the one thing that has kind of always been consistent is the the role is commission based so you are rewarded based on performance and actually if you if you're doing fixed fees where's the incentive to negotiate on behalf of your vendor to ensure you're getting the best offer you can Mm. if you as an individual aren't seeing any reward out of that you know if you get an offer of three two five on a property that's on at 350 you know how 
how much effort are you going to put in to actually negotiating that offer so as close to 350 as you can if in reality there's no there's no real benefit to it um you know and and that's why i like the the percentage fees because yeah. actually it's carrot and stick you know the agent does well on behalf of the vendor um they're being rewarded actually if the agent doesn't do so well they're they've done all they can it's safe to assume that they've negotiated as much as they can because ultimately they are also going to lose out it is a reward so basis yeah it, it makes it more of a team i think by doing it like that we're in it together as opposed to the the opposite which is with the fixed fee where arguably there is less motivation there great speech but i would sometimes disagree <laughs> <laughs> Convince me. You're entitled to, mate. No, because of a fixed fee, I would argue, you know, rightly or wrongly, say you do it for that fixed fee. If we get 335 as Mm. opposed to 360, although you say, yeah, we might not earn as much, if we go and do that next valuation and they go, what did you guys get on that one? And I go, oh, 335. Or I go, we got 360 on that. That's a Mm. record on the street. We're much more likely to win more business. So you might take the hit on that. Uh, Mate, I'm I'm There's two sides of it, but I would get you. There oh, is a certain level, isn't it? There's a certain level. If you're working on a percentage, you're a devil's advocate. If oh, it's yeah. a reward for what you're doing, of course, there's going to be a push. It's I, I do agree, James. The other thing that people Sales sometimes people need do, to be incentivized. I agree. Yeah. I 100 agree. Yeah, yeah. And that's also based on the negotiators' commission, right? Exactly. Absolutely. It affects everyone, so it's it is a direct sort of impact. The other thing that's sometimes a little bit more uh, complex with the fees, if you do get it in the high markets, normally even buoyant markets, if pricing and competing and people are pushing them at sliding scales, you know, yeah. we'll pay a percentage up to X. If you achieve over, we'll bump that up. You get an extra 20% of the value achieved. And so that's other ways people can do it if, if, if they're unsure of the range that they might hit. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I'd, I'm one for percentages. I'd say I do agree with James on that. I would just always try and get there. I know it sounds cheesy. But, but that, you're talking about a personal sort of, get there. I would do this because yeah, that's how we like to yeah. work. Yeah. Ego, yeah, <laughs> maybe just to get the you, most. Your ego, oh. yeah. <laughs> unlike me, but yeah. Uh, is, go sorry, go I was going to say the because um, we were, you know with sales progression and stuff. What James was saying about you know you want it to be passed through and you've got people dealing with it till the end and that's what your fees going towards. And the whole point that I would uh, say between different agencies on that sales progression is whether or not you are having agents passing it to sales progressors or passing it or the person who sold the property will see it through to the end for you. Hmm. And actually some people use sales progressors, some don't, and some would say that they're better than others. I think we have always been of the opinion and I firmly would always be is that if my colleague Jay sells the property and he's going to get paid the commission for selling it, He's the one who handles our sales all the way through to the end. So that is on his head. If it falls through, it's his loss of earning. If it goes through, it's his gain of earning. So I would always be more pro the, the, the negotiator, you know, the fee earner handling that sale and getting that through to the end rather than you palming it to a, a sales progressor who's probably incentivized to a certain extent by no means what the, the negotiator would be. Um, but that's about the relationship, right? Because, yeah. you know, you as we've said, it's a three to four month transaction, potentially longer. Um, and you've got a load of hurdles that you need to get through during that period. And actually, if you've got the person who's handling the progression side of things is the same person who did the viewing, who's worked with that buyer, who's worked with that vendor, and that buyer gets their survey done, and there's eight grand's worth of damp works that need doing, who's better to help negotiate that situation? The 
the the person who's done the initial viewing who has the relationship with both parties to kind of come at it from hopefully a very pragmatic point of view and go look this is what the report says you know this is what's reasonable this is what's happening in the market this is this is what normally happens in this situation who you know hopefully has built up trust with both sides or the progressor who realistically neither party is going to have met before they're not going to know what they look like they're not going to have had that background kind of conversations and help and support in in the early stages of the process so and and ultimately aren't a negotiator you know their job is not to negotiate so i i completely agree with alex that the the best person to handle that is the person who's been involved from the beginning not someone who's just come in kind of after an offer's been accepted it's like oh well, hi i'm so and so and i'm going to be dealing with it now who are you yeah, where's exactly that? It's the break relationship. Also, you normally find that progressors aren't in the office every yeah, day. Of three the week. days a week. Mm. Yeah. So you're normally dealing with someone who is going to deal with that fault on a very kind of format basis of I'll pick up on a Wednesday. Mm. You know, we know that something can happen to sell at any given point. And the quicker you jump on it, act on it, and, and yeah. like see it through, the quicker the transaction will complete, but also the higher chance you've got of keeping that sale together. Yeah. So if you leave things to fester, you know what happens with them. So to put it in perspective, Think about it when you're trying to deal with a problem with your telephone provider or your broadband goes down, you know, and you're trying to ring through to whoever it is. And actually, you speak to Craig, then Craig doesn't phone you back because David does. Then this, the problem's still ongoing, so you get Molly. It's so frustrating having yeah. to explain the same situation yeah. to each of these people because they don't pass their notes on, they're not involved in it. Um, and that's what it's like dealing with the, or that's what it can be like dealing with the sales progressor rather than the person who who knows it inside out. Yeah. So as Ben just said, the I guess if you're providing information at the beginning as a as a negotiator to someone, whether that's the lease or work that's been done, or even what the vendor's doing, chain free in a chain, ultimately it's going to be you that's got to answer back to that if it's wrong, right? So it keeps people kind of accountable, keeps that as you say that line of contact and communication between two people. Rather than me telling someone a bunch of fibs because I get the deal tied up and I chuck it over to Jack who has to then handle for that, chances are it's probably going to go south, isn't it? Because he's not going to be able to answer my questions or the wrong information I've given. So, yeah, a valid point, I think, for sure. Yeah, Keep I mean, I've, I personally have been on the receiving end of that. When when I bought the house that we're in now, um, we were told it was going to be chain-free by the negotiator. And actually, it then went over, got passed over to the sales progressor. And we're getting to the point of exchange and... Um, basically sort of speaking to the solicitor and saying right we want to exchange next week and complete the week after and um yeah fine we'll put that over and it came back from the other side saying chain of four yeah we, we can't do that we're not ready on our onward <laughs> what <laughs> didn't even know you had an onward so yeah it's very true keeps um keeps the negotiator hopefully um honest yeah and who pays that? I don't know, it seems like an obvious one, but who pays that? If you're a buyer, do you pay? Sometimes you get buyers, don't you, that ask you, do I pay that fee? Have I got to pay a fee? Do I put it on deposit? Well, obviously, like as a seller, you pay to sell your own home, right? So you're paying the fee to the agent. That normally isn't paid directly. You know, most agents will have that their invoice goes across your solicitor. Bearing in mind, your solicitor is going to receive the funds from your buyer at the end of that process, at which point they'll pay any mortgage off, you know, they'll settle any disbursements for any outstanding finance on the property be it like lease charges or anything like that and then they'll pay the agent so it's the it's the seller who sells uh, pays the fee it's them who's responsible for it normally you look to uh, get the solicitor to pass the fee to you um, to keep a smooth line of the transaction 
Yeah, we've only ever had it really. We had, did have one last year where they paid us directly. We've had That's a couple. Happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, funny enough, I was saying we've got um, one we're dealing with for a company, and I actually said to Felipe, you might just want to check with them. Sometimes they just like to have invoice in and pay out rather than it being paid by someone else and having to account for it in different ways. Yeah, something just, I don't know. simple. As long as it comes in, I don't think the agent really cares. And when is it paid? It goes for most people in any walk of life. As long as they get paid, they're kind of all right with it. And when is that? When it when is what? When do the, when does those fees? When do you pay that fee? Um, well, it's normally. I mean, depends on the agent's contract. Um, but normally, it will become due on exchange because that's when for for most agents they they've done the job. You know, that's when it becomes legally binding. Um, so yeah, quite often due on exchange. Um, but actually, in terms of when the payment is made, it's generally accepted that payments made upon completion. The other thing I would say, just on to finish on the whole kind of fee structure and, and what you're paying, is I think all too often you hear about people, we get it all the time coming back. You know, I've had a few valuations. Basically, someone's willing to do it for 0.2% less. You know, what are you going to do? And I think you are selling the most valuable thing that you'll probably ever own. Don't just hunt for the lowest fee or the highest valuation. You know, cheaper fees, the old adage, you know, pay peanuts, get monkeys. It's, there is a value to a service. And if people are going to provide you a high level of service, achieve these you know good figures and see it through is there's going to be a a worth to that um so don't always just hunt for the lowest because ultimately you normally end up coming across problems here or there uh potentially not always but yeah just don't you want to sell the most expensive thing you ever own but you want to find the cheapest person to do it for you to me it's so backwards you hear it a lot though don't you with the i you know i need someone who's going to do good good quality work for the cheapest fee builder you know builders get it it's it seems everywhere and it's why but why would you want to and some people say so we've had it a few times you know when obviously i don't know if i've spoken up the fact that the client base we've got the sales that we've agreed this year and the ability for us to probably find them buyer quite quickly the thing back is well cool if you're going to sell it quickly you can do it cheaper and it's like yeah, you're not going to work that hard on it yeah, yeah it's going to be easy for you it's cheap it's quick and it's like well actually the amount of what you've not seen is the amount of effort hours that we put in to get up to this point to have those clients but then similarly okay we might find you the buyer quickly but that four month window doesn't change yeah, that work is still the, the same it never yeah. changes and that's what I mean. You have to remember you're paying for the four months, not just for the four, five, two, three, four, five, six weeks of, of marketing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about builders, isn't it? You're not paying for the fact it's going to take them 20 minutes. It's paying you for the fact they spent 15 years learning how to do it in 20 minutes. Yeah. Right? So you're paying for the skill and the ability, not the not the time necessarily. Yeah. i got to be honest, any time I get a, like, a tradesman, and if, it's, if I get a quote that's way cheaper than everyone else, I'm like, they've got to be rubbish. But this is, going, there's yeah. something wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. Tradesman, it's yeah. the same thing I was saying you know, last week about sort of upfront fees. You'd never pay a builder upfront, but yet people were paying purple bricks upfront and thinking they were going to get yeah. this service. And yeah, if you got three quotes from a builder and someone was half the price of the others, you'd bin it off because yeah. you'd know the standard would be low. But when it comes to agents and trying to sell your home, it seems to be the most direct route, isn't it? Who's going to yeah. do it for the cheapest? Yeah. And you're probably only normally saving yourself three, four, five hundred pounds. You're not talking like three, four thousand pounds. But you're not looking at the cost. You might lose money. You, you, yeah, absolutely. The cost of For the fee that's agree- the value that's agreed with them. Right. You know, the, the actual cost of that saving is, I mean, certainly in comparables that I've looked at, can be tens of thousands. Yeah. In, in terms of what the off the agent can agree. In yeah. terms of when I've looked at certain online agents, what they've sold a property for. And then I've looked, not, and I'm not just talking about us, I'm talking Everyone about other normally, high decent street agents. agents. Yeah. And kind of comparing what they've sold that is a direct comparable, and the price difference. I mean, in some of them, it's twenty or thirty grand. Yeah, for for a thousand pound fee versus a, a short sighted view, isn't it? Short term. You just saving. think, what? 
you know, if you knew then what you knew what you know now, you'd, you'd be going nuts at yourself. You'd be Rod Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the song? The faces. No, I don't. It is funny that I think uh, Ben actually, but when Purple Brits were doing this or any of the cheap brands, Ben was just saying, you'll come a point where you'll be able to look back and see the value of actually what yeah. your, your people are selling for more. And as you say, as yeah, you go by and data's there, you can physically see it. It's not, not agents just bigging themselves up. No, it's all there. Yeah. Well, that leads us quite nicely into our uh, next section, this week's Jargon Buster. Uh, Alex, if you could tell the audience what uh, sole agency slash sole selling is. What if somebody got a contract, if you were going to sell, you know, like you just said with the fees, if you're reading through someone's terms and conditions and it said sole agency, sole selling, what does that mean in layman's I guess primarily what you'll hear is a sole agency agreement. That's what most agents would work on. That's where you effectively kind of you, you employ one agent for a period of time. You're normally into a, a contract length, six, eight, ten, whatever weeks it might be. And effectively, if that agent during that time introduces a buyer that goes through to exchange, then they are due with their fee, right? So that's about, you've got my house, it's therefore up to you to sell it. If a private sale kind of happens in the background, then there's no fee due to that person. So it is, if you introduce me a buyer and they go to exchange, you get the fee. Sole selling rights is where you basically, any form of sale that gets agreed during that period, you do a fee. So if I'm marketing your house and James pops along, knocks on your door and says, I'll buy it from you, I'll do a fee. But irrespective of whether I've introduced that person or not, I have the sole selling rights. So if it sells, I get a fee. So sole selling, you won't often come across that many agents. Which funny enough, that happened to us about two, three months ago. We had a property on in a block of flats and the we got an offer on it and the vendors were like, oh yeah, we're going to sell it to one of the neighbours. And it's like, well, how did they know that that was on the market? I mean, I yeah, you know I, I mean? they always they get really you right. speak to them, or Have they just randomly see our, so you're selling it. Did yeah. they see our marketing? We've not introduced, but did we really introduce them because they wouldn't have seen the flat otherwise? It's that indirect introduction. How could isn't you it? ever prove it? I just always offer to the vendor if they'd like to take over the progression. That's the next hardest bit. And deal with the negotiation, which yeah, is, which yeah. will end up normally. I think a lot of people don't want to have that negotiation. Well, it's hard, but yeah, sole selling. Yeah, that one you get paid a fee irrespective. Uh, and James, down value slash down valuation. Yeah, so down valuation in the surveying world doesn't exist um, because it's not a down valuation. There's no such thing as a down valuation. There is a valuation. A valuation. And that's what it's worth because the surveyor's opinion yeah, is accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like yeah, if, if you actually say to a surveyor down valuation, uh, they won't appreciate it because truthfully, there's no such thing. Um, but in... In the actual our world, um, from the marketing point of view, and, and as estate agents and homeowners, buyers, sellers, the down valuation is essentially what it means is the price that has been offered on the property. When a surveyor has come and looked at it, they've they've basically said it isn't worth the money that is currently being offered. So if if a buyer has offered five two five on a property, and the surveyor comes in and says. I don't value it that. I value it at 500. That's what we would call a down valuation because yeah. it's been valued at 25,000 less than what the offer is. That's interesting. That's a, a lot of that's for the bank, isn't it? And a mortgage valuation generally. Yes. But if it's a survey, would a valuer think, I don't know, but would a valuer, probably because both the houses are flats are bought or houses, never got a survey done. But would the person who was then valued, would they ever say it's valued more? No. Would you, why not though? What? That's, um, oh, you say I think it's worth less, but I don't think it's worth more. Yeah, I mean, you... It, you say if somebody got a house of, and you're like that, they, they paid 500 grand for it. 
and you're like, that's a 700 grand house. Yeah, Which because, think because all, if you're doing it on behalf of the lender, yeah. the only thing that you're there to make sure is that actually the house yeah. isn't worth less than what's being offered. Being if, it's so, not the lender. if it's not the lender, you, if you're instructed to do a private valuation... Like a cash sale, a, ca- uh, a cash purchase. Well, ig- ignore the sale aspects of it. If you're instructed as a valuer to do a private valuation, you will just look at the comparables that are there. And just get market right. value. And, so you, would just and you will assess what the market value is. Mm. But if there is already an offer existing on it, why would you then come up with something? Because it's been open market tested at that point. So either it is worth what that person has offered or it isn't. But if it isn't worth what that person has offered, you're not going to say it's worth more than that. The only reason why it wouldn't be worth what the person has offered is because actually all the comparables are saying that it's worth less. Yeah, makes sense. Makes Mm. sense. Uh, Which does segue us perfectly into our next topic, uh, which is the reason buyers may negotiate, which... We've not actually had as much of that as what maybe people you read in the news or what people think um, or maybe what people expect. And we were actually having a chat in the office, in our office this week, about a buyer whose budget drastically changed because at the end of the purchase, she fell out of her dad and her dad was giving her a massive chunk. Of, it might have even been in your guy's office, but Matt was talking to us about it. And basically, she fell out of her dad and her dad was offering happen. a massive yeah. chunk of the gifted deposit. So when the dad was like, I'm not going to give you the money, she was like, I can't afford it. So I can either <laughs> offer you a drastic price drop or I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to have to fall through. I mean, it's I think a it very did. important lesson here. Fall through. Don't, Don't fall out with your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he's about no, to give you a load of cash. But it, it kind of got me thinking, you know, what are the other reasons that people may, may look into re, reneging, as we call it, or renegotiating? Um, I think a lot other of than it, falling out with their dad. Other, other than that. Um, I think the reason why some agents see less of it than others is because a lot of it is actually a lot of that negotiation side of thing is handled in the early stages. Um, a, a lot of the issues in terms of people coming back after the fact is generally as a result of they've just not had all the information in advance of making the offer. So it's about clarity from the get go. You know, you've got someone who's interested in the property. Give them all the information, you know, as much as you possibly can in terms of how old the boiler is, you know, any defects that you're aware of in terms of the roof or problems that have happened, subsidence, you know, historic things, for example, that, okay, they might well have been 20 years ago. That doesn't mean it's not going to be relevant to a purchaser today. Arguably, some things are, are less of a problem than others, but it's all very subjective. So for me, a lot of those issues actually should be sorted out at the very, very beginning. Um, and if they are, you have less problems kind of down the line. Yeah, which is kind of almost a slight mix with the, you know, I guess if you provide misinformation, not even by um, yeah, by purpose, right? But if there, if you have in within a, a property detail that it owns a loft, let's say. So someone's offered on the property based on being a loft, maybe because the vendor has just misunderstood they own the loft or the leases of a certain length and it's not. And those kind of things then come up during the course of the sale. If that property isn't what they thought they were purchasing based on the information that were given, um, like whether it's repair works, whatever it might be that's hidden, then obviously that can be kind of a, a reason for it. Um, we've seen all sorts though. I mean, during, um, I guess when Brexit hit, there was a huge kind of pull off that because of the, what the media was suggesting, obviously the market, what people were seeing just generally around them, there was, I think, pretty much probably 80% of the sales we had agreed within a space of a four-week window all had 20, 30, 40K price reductions where people were just like, I'm not paying it. 
So it can be market changes, very immediate changes, not kind of gradual over a period of you time. Had a fair amount of that, didn't you? And like when we had three prime ministers in what felt like a week in like November, October, November, whatever it was. When yeah, because no, no one likes uncertainty. I mean, no one likes uncertainties. The moment that pops up, everyone starts to sort of freak out slightly. Um, so yeah, I guess look, big changes in the in the general market, the economy. Normally, a lot of that is based on media representation of it and how bad it's going to be, and the, you know the doom and gloom that's coming upon us. So. Sometimes you see big articles come out or a lot of news come out and you, you kind of know what might come your way following it. Um, yeah. Survey results. I know you kind of briefly touched on that, but that's a massive one. That's the that's probably the main the one. Main one. So that's the biggest hurdle. It's survey results. Yeah. It's the one we all worry about, isn't it? We don't really worry about the mortgage valuation so yeah. much because we generally know that, you know, what You've the comparables it. are going to yeah. support. And also if we are worried, we generally have comparables to put in front of a value and go, well, look, we've sold this one for this, we sold this one for this. So we tend not to worry too much about the, the down valuations. Um, surveys are a bit more risky because that is the big one, you know, and there's a there's a kind of joke within the industry um, amongst surveyors about that people will go and spend 20, 30 grand having, you know, beautiful kitchens installed, all singing, all dancing in Central Island, you know, bifold doors at the back, underfloor heating. And the roof was last renovated in the 70s and it's got holes in it and but nobody cares you know when your friends are coming like how many of you would invite friends around for dinner to show me a new roof right exactly (laughs) oh lovely roof you got there no of course not but new kitchen oh you know that's amazing yeah we want a kitchen like that so um but that's the purpose of the surveyor is to go around there and find where the problems are because as we know most buyers walk through the door and they don't really look above eye level um, which is why you paint your front door around your, your ground floor windows, but don't worry about what's <laughs> going on above it. Um, but that's obviously the surveyor's job. So when the chimney's leaning and, you know, uncapped and half the roof tiles are missing, you then get... Which, uh, I mean, you say that as a sort of a joke, right? But they are probably the most common things you see come yeah. up on Victorian properties is, you know, the chimneys need repointing, the the flashings, the flaunches, all these things that are to do to stop water getting in. And they just deteriorate and mm. people buy properties with those issues have a survey where it might be a sort of a you know an amber warning saying that these are bad and will need changing living it for seven eight nine years come back to sell it and they're like i was a problem but it hasn't caused us a problem and then wonder why it's now like a red at level yeah. three and needs doing immediately and can't quite get their head around it or so. they get from the surveyor oh i don't know i can't see it i've not been up there so they're the worst could I be those could be a free and they could be falling over oh it's a red free it's yeah. the, the the roof's falling through and it's like, well he's not seen it has he so, surveys are 100 percent the biggest reason of course it's the one thing that buys don't what know really gets get me is most things we sell are period properties right around here mm-hmm. most of them are who in their right mind thinks they're going into these properties and just buying something that's brand new you're clearly going to get problems. But people go in there and go, well, that needs a bit of work. That needs a bit. It's like, well, you're buying a house that's 100 year old, right? It's not going to be. It's a different level, of what, different but, level of what buyers take on, right? Some people, there's a lot of issues in there that people sort of accept, push to one side. But when you're talking about leaning chimney stacks. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. That's or just repairs enough, that people like, should have done. I think yeah. the floorboards creak. Yeah, the, the problem is, is that internally they've been renovated to modern standards. So what what happens is a buyer, or what I think happens in terms of the mindset is people walk through the door, they see that everything internally is pristine. There's, there's generally, if you actually read the reports, there's very little wrong on the inside aspect of the property. But as soon as the surveyor's reporting on the outside of yeah. the property that's where all the there. issues in terms of pointing in terms of the old timber windows um that's where it all comes up and and there is a slight misunderstanding with um purchasers who haven't owned previously in particular 
or haven't own, owned an old property, that um, the outside should be just as good as the inside. But they very rarely are. And the truth is, even with the older buildings where they are maintained, you generally still have issues. You know, it's, it's, I can't think of a Victorian building I've been into that hasn't suffered from some form of damp. Oh, yeah. In, in some form, whether it's coming, whether it's water ingress from the top through uncapped chimneys, whether it's damp that's penetrating through high ground levels externally, you know, whether it's the windows, um, cracks within it, you know, there, there's a million different reasons as to why. They, they, they've all got it somewhere. Um, but there is an expectation that because the internal condition's absolutely pristine, so should the external condition, but that's very yeah. rare. Yeah, I suppose one other would be delays in transactions. You know, if it goes on, yeah, for, some you know, people, four, some five, people use that, don't they, and try to use that. So, like, it's been going on for six months. We thought it was chain free. They've linked in a property purchase, taken forever. We wanted, but really, at that point, you, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to go and start another process again for three, four months over, or are you going to see this one out in the next two, three weeks? And well, yeah, but what if you agreed something last summer and oh, then it got to market, November? If the market's changed, that could change it. We also had during uh, 2014 and 16 when the market was rapidly increasing of people actually if they were in a three four month process at the end being asked for more money because the vendor could go and get some, get an extra 50k for putting mm. back on the market so you can go in both ways but um more commonly yeah. i think the secret is not leaving the door open you know if you if you give people an opportunity they generally will take it um you know it's, what, what's the um give them an inch they take a mile yeah um or you know if you're going to leave your front door open the chances are someone's going to rob you it's that. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard that. <laughs> well, no, what, what well, is, is it? That's good analogy, though. It's, isn't burglary that must be a like South 90% Malum thing. of burglary is, is opportunity or whatever door. it is? I thought you were going to say for someone you know. So it's, no, no, no. It, it's, the point I'm trying to make poorly, I'll admit, um, is that actually if you, if you try and ensure um, that you're covering all your bases in the early stages, you should have less issues. Yeah, if you try and hide a bunch of stuff go. and don't purposely right. tell somebody, you're going to come across problems. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you give people unrealistic expectations. So, you know, you say to them, oh, don't worry, we'll get you in in three months, knowing yeah. that your vendor's got very specific purchase requirements. And, it's never and it could take them three months to find, let alone get the, the, the onward purchase through. But you hear it all the time, you know, particularly in the springtime where you have estate agents going, you know, we'll have you in by the summer and the garden and lovely, and thinking they're doing the right thing because they're selling the, the property and the idea of it. But the reality is it's never going to happen. And when it doesn't, you've then got the buyer saying, vendor needs to move out, otherwise we're pulling the plug. That's another uh, area where being the fear or having that direct communication with a buyer for the two, three months, when you start negotiating or get into those conversations, you'll often find that people who get, if I know the client I've dealt with for three months, having those conversations negotiating are a hell of a lot easier. And you can squash a lot of those costs because you know each other and they've got a certain element of sort of trust or integrity from you that they know you're not sort of trying to just waffle over it whereas if you've been passed to someone else you're just going to offer the 20 grand off i don't know you don't know me you know i want it so yeah good example of that actually is um one i did a couple of weeks ago where the the survey had come back and it was exactly one of those where can't rule out this because i can't see it and it was about the subfloor um, and what the survey basically said was, um, we we can't rule out that the subfloor isn't suffering from some sort of rot. So I went around the buyer and kind of said, look, one of the big signs of rot is springy floors. Jump up and down on the floors. And it was solid as anything. Yeah. It's like, that's lucky. Yeah. She jumped and she went through. <laughs> 
and and as I said, you know, you the, said, truth, the truth is, the surveyor can't rule out rot. But the reality but is, is, is it likely to be a problem? Well, you've jumped up and down on it. You make a decision for yourself. Mm. Um, but but these, these are the things, a certain amount of logic you would hope has to prevail at some point. Yeah. Um, because there there is an awful lot of that within these survey reports that scares people. And the truth is the surveyor can't rule it out. They've not been down there. Yeah, they've, they've not looked. And they've got to cover themselves. Um, and it, then it's up to the buyer to actually take a hopefully pragmatic um approach with it sometimes with help from the agent sometimes not yeah um but yeah it's it's kind of how it goes thank you for that everyone um we will be back next week with another episode of propaganda um until then like and subscribe